turn our Bible to Judges, chapter 3. I'll look at one verse today. We've looked at this will be the third judge. There was Othanel, which was Caleb's nephew, and in Ehud, who uh, killed a man with a dagger. These stories seem odd that the Lord would use these type of instruments to deliver his people. He has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise that no flesh glory in his side. And all through this book, it has a theme of Christ redeeming his people and delivering his people from the power of sin. He left within us an old nature that never improves, never gets any better, and it will be with us to the day we die. But every day... We have been saved, we are being saved, and we shall be saved. He is saving us from ourselves. So let's read this one verse of Scripture, verse 31. And after him, talking about Ehud, was Shamgar, the son of Anath, which slew with the, Phil the Philistines 600 men with a ox goad, and he also delivered Israel. Just one verse. Most men that I've looked at would just skip over that. <clears throat> but I just maybe Lord will enable us to see something from this verse. Let's pray. Father, give us wisdom, discernment, guidance as we come to your word. Reveal yourself to us once again as our great deliverer and show us that we need you every day, that we would not trust in the arm of the flesh, but we would trust in you. We may bring honor and glory to your name. Forgive us of our sins. We beg this in your name. Amen. Hear this book that is sandwiched between the book of Joshua the children of Israel conquering and taking possession of all that God had promised them. It, it was theirs. One place in his word it said when he had delivered seven nations greater than they were. He gave it to them. He promised it to them. And it was theirs. But then when generations died out, when Joshua died out, and the generation which knew not Joshua or Joshua's God, they begin to turn away, turn back to idols, turn to false gods, and they begin to marry these people who were unbelievers. And they'd give their daughters to be married to these men, and these men would take their daughters. And in nature, then things would just take its course. It would get worse and worse and worse. And you know what it says about the book of Judges? Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. When Ehud died, what did they do? They fell right back into the same thing. 
And here today, we're going to try to look at this man named Shamgar. Who was he? Well, he was the third judge which judged Israel. Ehud probably delivered the children of Israel because they had to deal with the Moabites, which were probably on the eastern side of the Jordan River. Shamgar's probably on the left side, west side of the Jordan River because he's going to have to deal with the Philistines. From here on, I can't remember if they're mentioned before, but a lot in the book of Samuels, they, you always hear about who the Philistines. Uh, Goliath was a Philistine of Gath. They were, they were these people always hating the children of Israel, always being a thorn in their flesh. They would come and take what was not theirs. They'd just, you know, intimidate, try to strike fear. Because he was to fight the Philistines who lived, if you were to look at a map, on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. That's where you have Gaza, Gath, Ashtrod, Escalon, Joppa, and Philista. Who were these? They were the Philistines. And they are the ones that this God raises this man up to fight against these people. It is kind of ironic. We were just, you know, there's not hardly much on TV anymore. So we were just watching the History Channel, and it was kind of ironic that they were doing a thing about Alexander the Great. And this man marched for years trying to conquer. They said he traveled probably, marched over a 1,000 miles, which is unreal. And how he went to all these different places, and how he conquered all these things, and then he died. Got sick and died, even died without an heir. Well, then everything, all his big empire split up. And these people began to rule, and they ruled. How did they rule? They ruled by the iron fist. So just to share something with you, there was a, you, you, and as I mentioned, a place called Joppa, which was an island. And they said, how are we going to get to this island? And they knew the water at one place was only six foot deep, so they made like a bridge. And he sent men to inquire for peace. He said, well, if y'all would just surrender, we'll let you live. And he killed every person that Alexander the Great sent. Well, you know what he did? By the time he was done with that place, they wasn't nobody living. But that's how they, that's how they ruled. They struck fear. Don't cross me. Don't make me angry. But it's amazing, you know, I hadn't thought about that before I was studying the lesson and how all these things through history, which is his history, tie in together, how God brought all these things to pass to deliver his people. You say, why did that man travel that far? Well, there was a reason for it. You know what the New Testament was written in? Greek. Who is the Greeks? As he conquered them, these... It's like the Greek is more definite than our language. We say, I love you or you love them. In the Greek, there's like three or four different words, to, and you have to know which word that is using, and it's more, it's more clear. God used that. God raised them up. God raised them up, just like he did this man, Shamgar. He was a man, and he was only a man. 
Now, I know he is a picture of Christ, but this man is just a man. He's just a mere man of flesh and blood. But God raised him up to deliver his people from oppression. One man, a man named Shamgar. We don't hear of him. I think there's one other time Deborah made mention of him in her song in chapter 5. The only other time his name's even mentioned. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. All men serve his purpose. Like I mentioned, Alexander the Great or any man down through history, all the others. And it says in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 26, you see your, do you see your calling, brethren? Do you see that how God called you? How that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty men, not many noble of birth are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, and base things of the world and things which are despised, things which are despised hath God chosen, and things which are naught to bring to naught things that are. And why does he do that? That no flesh could glory in his sight. No flesh. God's word records many people who appear just for a little while. It's like they step out of the shadows and then they just step back in and you go, what happened to him? We know very little about the man. We know very little about his background. We don't know what, if he was from one, even from one of the tribes of, of Israel. But some of those that are mentioned, if you would turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 23, there's three instances given here in this chapter, these are the three mighty men of David. They were his mighty men. These were mighty men. They fought for the king. Fought for the king. The first one is Adino. Verse 8, these be the names of the mighty men who David had. The Tachumite that sat in the seat, chief among the captains. The same was Adono de Ezite. He lifted up his spear against 800 whom he slew at one time. Now, that's pretty mighty man. All these things picture Christ. He is the God-man, and he defeated every enemy. But this man, 800 men, he slew at one time. We know that Samson, he killed a 1,000 with the jawbone of an ass. Why did he use the jawbone of an ass? It's what was there. This man did it with a spear. Then verses 9 and 10, Eliezer. And after him was Eliezer, the son of Dodo, the Ahohite, one of the three mighty men of David. When they defiled, when they defiled the Philistines that were gathered together to battle, these Philistines were gathered together against them, and the men of Israel were gone away. Where did they go? They ran away. You imagine standing there seeing this Philistine army come and you look around and there's nobody left but you. What are you going to do? You either stand there and fight or you run. And the men of Israel was gone. And what did he do? What a picture of Christ. He arose and smote the Philistine until his hand was weary. 
and his hand claved to the sword. They said he had such a grip on that sword, and he wouldn't turn it loose. And someone also said there was so much blood on his hand that that congealed to his hand, and his hand claved to the sword. He wouldn't let it down. I can't let it down. His hand claved to the sword, and the Lord wrought a great victory. He's the one that won the victory. And the people returned after him only to the spoil. It's like they're over hiding in the bushes. And when, when they, they look up and they said, there's no Philistine left. Now they come and get the spoils of the army. What's well, a picture of Christ? He defeated our enemy. And you know what? He gives us the spoils of the victory. But his man, our Lord, was weary with his journey. And then the last one is in verses 11 and 12. And after him was Shammah, the son of Agi, the Horhite. And the Philistines were gathered together into a troop where was a piece of ground, just a piece of ground full of lentils. Lentils, what I understand, was things that people would gather to eat. And the people fled from the Philistines. And he stood in the midst of the ground and defended it. He said, you're not taking it. Everybody else is gone. Our Lord tread the winepress alone. And he slew the Philistines, and the Lord wrought a great victory. Who won the victory? He did. But I want you to see, he used these men. These men, they defeated the enemy. Another example is the widow of Zarephath. We don't know her name. We just know her that she was a widow. And the Lord raises up this woman to take care of his servant, Elijah. Elijah is by the brook that's not rained for three and a half years, and the brook dries up. Well, where's he going to live? How's he going to eat? Who's going to take care of him? Well, over on Zarephath, you know where Zarephath is? That's where Jezebel was from, the most unlikeliest place you would ever send your servant. But he said, here's what he said. 1 Kings 17, 9, Arise, get thee to Zerpath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, behold I have commanded, commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. She's going to take a widow woman? He gets her, and, she, and she's getting ready to fix her and her son's last meal. You mean God would use someone like that? Her name's not even mentioned to take care of Elijah? Yeah, that's what he did. Let me read you another one, show you another one. In 2 Kings chapter 5, that one from their path, if you're making notes, was 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 9. So in 2 Kings chapter 5, we have this young girl that was taken captive. Now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and honorable because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He also was a mighty man of valor, but they one thing, he's a leper. He's a leper, an incurable disease. He may hide it under his armor and everything. He may be a valiant man, and the Lord may have used him, but he's a leper. And the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captives out of the land of Israel, a little maid. And she waited on Naaman's wife. If that would have been your daughter, that would have broke your heart to know that your daughter was taken captive by the enemy. 
But there was a reason for this. Her name's not mentioned. She's just a maid. And she just happens to be in Naaman's house. And she said unto, I think it was Naaman, I mean, her mistress would God, my Lord, were with the prophet that is in Samaria. For he would recover him of his leprosy. And one went in and told his Lord, saying, Thus and thus said the maid that is of the land of Israel. You going to believe what she says? Yeah, they believe. You know where the only hope is? There's a prophet in Israel. And who is that prophet? He's Samuel. He don't know about the prophet. How is he going to find out through this little maid? It had been easy to got bitter, wasn't it, and say, I, I just wished I was back home. I wished I didn't have to serve this woman. And the king in Assyria said, Go to, go, and I will send a letter with the king of Israel. And he departed and took with him ten talents of silver and six thousand pieces of gold and ten changes of raiment. Someone else, remember the little boy? Our Lord's going to have, they said, How are you going to feed all these people? And here's a little boy, and the name's not mentioned. Five loaves and two fish. And he took that and fed all those people. The woman that was anointed to, who anointed the Lord's feet, and more, I mean, anointed our Lord and washed his feet with her hair. And they began to find fault with her. Her name's not mentioned. Some say, well, she maybe was Mary Magdalene. Or Lazarus' sister. We don't know, and it doesn't say, so we can only speculate. But we know that God used her. She said, I have come to anoint his body for the burial. She knew she would never have another opportunity. And if, she, if she's going to do this, she says, I've got to do it right now. And people didn't understand. Judas, I think, he was the one that spoke up. And he said, we could have sold this for 300 pence and given it to the poor. Don't that sound so good? He's wanting to draw attention away from Christ. And this woman, she's there to honor her Lord. And our Lord said, you leave her alone. You know what he said? I don't ever read that he ever said this about anybody else. She hath wrought a good work. On me. He said what she did was a good work. She didn't care what they thought. She probably knew when she went, they won't understand. It didn't matter. Somebody else has mentioned when our Lord died, and they're going to take his body down from the tree, who's going to prepare that body? a man that we don't know anything else hardly about, a man named Joseph of Arimathea. He had a grave there that he had hewed out of a rock, and he took down that body, and he anointed it and wrapped it and put it in the tomb. See what I'm saying? All these people, they, were, they just like come on the scene, and the Lord used them, and then they just fade into the, into the shadows. Shamgar was the son of Anath. What I understand, Anath was in the northern Israel and was apparently also the name of the Canaanite goddess of war. Some believe this man may have been a Canaanite who was converted from paganism to worship in Jehovah. His, at least his father's name suggests a deep influence of paganism. 
You know what made me think of myself? Where'd we come from? Deep in paganism. Deep in false worship. You said, does God use something like that? Sure he does. <laughs> we'd, say, we'd say he wasn't saved that man. Yeah, he did. And he used him for his glory. Shamgar, he was the son of Anath, and he was a, he was a hard worker. He's not, we don't read deceit, we don't read that he's sitting around twiddling his fingers, twiddling his thumbs. He was a worker. Says he's here with an ox goat and a bunch of, a couple of oxen plowing, getting ready to plow a field. If any of you have ever done that, I never have. I've done a little bit of it with a tractor, but not with a bunch of oxen. I can't imagine going over to Danny's and yoking up a couple of oxen and putting a plow to it and trying to get them to plow the ground. You know where the Lord found Elisha? You know what he was doing when he called him? He was plowing the ground. Plowing the ground. And that's what this man was doing. He's out there plowing the ground, taking an ox goat, <clears throat> which is a piece about eight feet long, and they had a sharp point in the end of it, so if the, if the ox wouldn't go on, he would steer them with it. He was to motivate them. <laughs> And on the other end, it was a place that was pretty wide, about the shape of my hand, and it was kind of shovel-made. What would he use that for, to get the mud off the plow? I heard my old father-in-law tell me one day he used to plow fields, and he said, man, he worked for one, one, one thing he told him not to do above everything else. He said, don't you put that plow up dirty. That's your livelihood. He will to make sure it's clean. He want to make sure there was no hindrances. The plowing the ground, plowing the ground. You know what that's a picture of? Conviction when the, the word of God, like a plow, just goes in deep. And he, a plow, it's made in such a way when, when it goes in, it turns the dirt just like this, inside out. What's on the bottom is now on the top, and it exposes what's in the ground. Plowing the ground. That's what this man's doing. Most people wouldn't have signed up to plow the ground. He's out there alone. Nobody's around. It's just him and the cattle, the oxen, plowing. When God calls someone, they are always busy. When he called Peter, James, and John, what were they doing? They were fishermen. They were in business together. They were fishermen. And you know what they did? They left it all to follow him. But when he called them, they were fishermen. And when Peter thought, well, I've messed up and... The Lord will never forgive me. You know what he said? I'm going back fishing. I'm going back fishing. Gideon, we'll see, was threshing wheat. This man was doing. Now listen to me. He was doing what he knew to do. Plowing. You said, well, that don't sound too important. It was important to him. If you, if you want to eat, you'd be thankful somebody plowed the ground. Somebody probably plowed that ground where that man and planted those lentils where that man defended that ground. I'll give you some scriptures. In Proverbs 20, verse 4, it said, The sluggard will not plow by reason of the cold. Oh, it's just too cold today. 
Therefore shall he beg in the harvest and have nothing. Isaiah 28, 24. Doth the plowman plow all day to soil? I would say by the time you were done at the end of the day, and he was probably out there from sunup to sundown. He's not out there from nine to five. He's doing what? Plowing. Plowing. Does he plow all day to, to sow? Does he open and break the clods out of the ground? It's to break up the fallow ground, the clods that are there. Now, they don't do it much anymore. I think they've got a little smarter than it, or they think they have. They don't plow ground anymore. Isn't that right, Danny? They just spray it. Well, you've got to spray it with something, and that something has to get in the ground. Scriptures speak, when did they plow? They plowed in the fall. Right when all the harvest was in and they plowed the ground. And you know what they do? They just leave it like that all winter. And the scripture is talking about the cold weather would break up those clods so in the spring the ground wouldn't be a bunch of clods. It'd be real fine dirt. See, it all served its purpose. Before he could plant, he had to plow. Break up the fallow ground. Do not sow among thorns. Our Lord said, no man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. And you know, then also even a preacher is described as an oxen. Do you muzzle the ox that treads out the corn? He said, if he's plowing up through there and there's a nearer corn, he said, do you put a muzzle on the mouth of the ox so he can't reach over and even get a nearer corn? If it wasn't for the ox, there wouldn't be any corn. But that's who this man was. So he was a hard worker. He was a man, now listen to me, who used what he had at that time for the glory of God and the salvation of his family and that nation. He used what he had. <clears throat> this man used an ox goad. It's not a, it's not a sword. It's not a spear. It's a, it's a piece of farm equipment. You know, later on, I think it's over in Samuel. The Philistines, they didn't want Israel to have any weapons at all, so they would take their swords and their spears. And you know what they'd have to do? And the instrument, the 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 things that they have are farm instruments. I mean, farm uh, things that you'd use on the farm. It was a hoe and a mattock and those things. And those things would get dull, and they would have to go down to the Philistines, and the Philistines would charge them to sharpen them. That's pretty bad, Danny. They wouldn't even leave them a file. But they took. That's what the enemy wants to take. He wants to take. This man doesn't have a sword. He doesn't have a spear. He doesn't have a bow and arrow. He has an ox goad. How can, what can he do with an ox goad? What can God do with an old ox goad? He can defeat the enemy, and he did. Like I said, this could remove the hindrances from the plow, break up the fallow ground. With this ox goad, he defeated 
600 Philistines. These men wore armor. These men had bows and arrows. They had shields. They had spears. And they had swords. What does this man have? He has an ox goad. He doesn't sit around and whine about what he doesn't have. He's going to use what he does have. You know, you've heard me say this many times, and I think it needs to be repeated. We have a lot at our disposal that other generations did not have. It's amazing that we can live stream these services and anybody that wanted to could watch them all over the world. Other generations did. I, children, I can remember, and you young adults, I can remember when there was no such thing as a computer. Surely not a cell phone. I remember the first guys I went to work for, and this was in the mid-90s, so that's not really that far away, maybe th- close to 30 years. It may seem long to you, but it don't to me. Remember, the only phone they had was a bag phone. <laughs> they were loud, but they were clear. And then most of us had a pager. We didn't even have a phone. We'd have to, if they paged you, then you'd have to find somebody with a phone. You go, why are you saying all that? Those are things that we have. We use what we have. We use it. Spurgeon, Sandy bought me a, for Christmas, it's a book of, it's called Forgotten Spurgeon Sermons. Some of the first ones he written, it's even got them written in, in his handwriting, which is pretty neat. I'm glad somebody wrote those down. I'm thankful somebody preserved them. We can benefit from those things. We can learn from those things. That's what I want us to see. We use what God has given unto us. And he's given them unto us. Now, the world may benefit from it. I understand. But they are for God's people. His people. Think about Denise, where she works. Now, they can, you can program something in the computer, and it just sits there and just prints it off. We didn't always have that. I remember when, and I never did get away from it. They, they wanted you, you know, when we were making templates, which is a pattern for a countertop. I'd go in there, and, and I would literally take glue on, which is real thin material, cut it up with a pair of tin snips, and take a glue gun and glue it together. And I could do it quicker than you could go in there and put these things on that countertop, and you could put a laser on it, and it would print out that picture. Well, then when I get back to the shop, i got to print it out on a printer. I'm not printing it out on a printer. When I leave that shop, when I leave that job site, it's done. I used what I had. I used what I was comfortable with. I've got, I don't have to buy that other stuff. Here's the template. If you make it by this, I guarantee you hit a fit. That's what I was comfortable with, and that's what I used, and that's what worked for me. I'm not bragging, but I have seen where in one day I've made as many as six different countertops and have to drive at least 30 to 45 minutes between the jobs, and I enjoyed every minute of it but I used what I had. I've still got the box. Still got the, the glue gun. But I, and I remember these things. And God even provided that job. I used what I had. We used what God's given us. What can we learn from this man, Shamgar? You start where you are. 
He is out plowing. He's not, he's not a powerful man with a lot of influence. He wasn't famous or wealthy. He didn't wait till things got better or wait for some other opportunity. It's like that woman that anointed our Lord. This is my opportunity. If I don't do it now, I'll never do it. Most all of us by nature are procrastinators. I'm not speaking down to you. I'm talking about all of us. Lord, help us not to wait for things to be different before we do something. Joseph of Arimathea didn't wait. Then we should use what we have. You may say, well, what, what can I do? You know, you're an individual. You're just exactly the way the Lord made you for his purpose and, and for his glory. And what you can do, nobody else can do. I wish I could play the guitar, but I can't. I wish I could play the piano, but I can't. I wish I could sing well, but I can't. So what? I use and you use what you can. Lynn, I'm so I love to hear you play. Jeff, I love to hear you lead singing. I love to, when God rebrings something back to your mind. He'd give you that ability, that talent. In others, you have talents and gifts that the Lord's given you. I can see Shamgar look up while he's plowing. He sees his army coming across the field. What am I to do? I can see maybe if he had that, that ox goad strapped on that plow, he pulled that thing off. He said, it's me and them. But it's not just me and them. When the Lord blesses his people, when he blesses his word, the ox goad and the, the plow is a picture of God's word. The gospel goes forth in power, and you can't resist it. It's the power of God. You know what it says when that word, it's the power of God? You know what that word is? It's dynamite. It's like lighting a piece of dynamite, and you throw it in it, and you get out of the way, and it does its job. That's God uses his word to save sinners. It is life or death. He is own resource is his bare hand and an ox goat. And he has to fight alone. Nobody sees him. You know what it's all saying? I want you to get this. This is what the Lord did. This is who he needed, and this is who he raised up for this time. No one was there to encourage him. And God gave him what he needed to defeat the enemy. And he did. Our Lord was doing what he did to save his people, and he did it alone. He did it alone. Something else we should learn, don't quit. I thought about Elijah. This is a man the Lord had provided for him. This is a man who had seen God rain fire down from heaven. And one woman, not a whole army of men, one woman said, by the mar this time I'm going to kill you. 
You know what he does? He goes out and sits down under a tree and feels sorry for himself. Said, I just wished I was dead. He can't live on past victories. He can't live looking into the future. He had to deal with what was there. And the Lord came to him in grace and mercy. And he said, Arise, Elijah, rise and eat. And then he, he ate and he laid back down. Why? He just give out. But then he woke him up again and he said, You arise and eat. You're going to go in the strength of this meat. 40 days, you got some. You got more work to do, Elijah. Keep looking to Christ, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Turn with me, I want to show you this in Hebrews 11. How did this man do this? Well, God enabled him, and he did it by faith. Not faith in his human strength, not faith in the ox goad. His faith was in the Lord. <clears throat> Hebrews 11, verse 32. What, what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon. These are judges. Barak, Samson, Jephthah. Of David also, Samuel, and the prophets. Now watch what they did. Who through faith, Subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of the lions, quenched the violence of the fire, escaped the edge of the sword. Out of weakness were made strong. I'm sorry, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant and fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. You said, did they really do that? Yes, how did they do it? By faith. God used an old fisherman, an old fisherman. And when they saw him and they heard him speak, they knew that they were unlearned and ignorant men. That's how the Lord described them. That's how they described them. But the Lord took that fisherman and used him, if you want to say, with an ox goad or with a jawbone of an ass. All these things picture God's word. And you know what? In one sermon, 3,000 people were saved. Who gets the glory? <laughs> Our Lord uses instruments that are too weak, and when the Lord chooses them, he can take a ram's horn and just blow the ram's horn, and the whole, the whole wall of Jericho fell. And by the foolishness of preaching, he turns men from darkness to light when the, God, when the Lord gives the word in power. That's the weapon we have. We don't need something else. We just need his word. God's word has the power to deliver you. It delivers you from fear, anxiety, whatever it is, it delivers you. It delivers you from the power of sin. It delivers you. Faith, faith. You know what we also see? We see here how low the men of Judah were brought at this time. They were disarmed. They said, we got them disarmed. They can't do anything. Well, did you read the newspaper yesterday? Did you, did you hear about that man named Shamgar? And he may not have killed them all at this one time, but... I, it may have been 200 at three different times. We don't know, but he defeated them. God did. 
how did that boy's three lo two loaves and three fishes feed all them people? You said, well, that's impossible. Yeah. What's impossible with men is possible with God. And what he did, he blessed it and he broke it. And he not only fed those people, when they got it all said and done, everybody was full. They were 12 baskets full. Each disciple got a basket full. That's how our Lord works. You go, it's just a little boy. It's just, I just put it in a little pouch this morning. I'm just taking this. This is my lunch. What can, my, what can my lunch do? You know what the disciples said? Well, send them into town let them buy their own food. <laughs> they said, what is these three loaves and two fishes among so many? God reveals his glory. He said, you know, while you stand still, you'll see the salvation of the Lord. It is no matter how weak the weapon of God may seem when it's strengthened by his arm. An ox goad, when God pleases, can do more than Goliath's sword. And sometimes, is he, sometimes he chooses to work by such unlikely means that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. You know, you see people on TV, oh, this is like David and Goliath. You wonder if they've ever read it. This little boy, here's what the world says, put, 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 our, put our armor on him. I can see him when he comes walking out there, he can't even hardly move. Weighting him down, he said, I ain't proved this. You see this little sling here in my pocket? I've used that. And he picks out that sling, and when he comes to a brook, he picks up five smooth, smooth stones so they can cut through the air. Why did he get five? Some believe Goliath had four brothers. If they want some of this, they can have some of it. We like, but what is that? By faith. He believed God. He said, that man's down there mocking God, and that's what this world is trying to do. What is the weapon we have? It's God's word. He chose the foolish things. The world would despise, and those are the ones he uses. I hope that's been a help.